Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It's Monday, September 13th for me, but it's Tuesday, September 14th for thee, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio episode 427. Oh. You can go to a website, waypoint.gay. Waypoint.gay. Hold, Hold on. You know, I mean, to be fair to Rob, uh, he may have been uh-huh. working off the schedule that I posted today, Ooh. which does say that Tuesday's episode is episode... Um, 427 because my and calendar I'll... was off by well, one no, episode right. because right. of Labor Day. The, the Wait, Waypoint Gay says I'm right. No, no it's it is 426. 427. Oh, no. Okay, 425 yeah. was Happy Trails, Austin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> After, well, this is off to a horrible start. start. We're doomed. <laughs> I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I am joined by Patrick Klepek. Hello, hello. And our producer, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. So, so we're two podcasts a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just us two podcasts. Uh, If we just hang out long enough, uh, I think that the number keeps moving. Time moves forward. Yeah, Um, time moves. We give people. We never claimed how we'd get to a three, you know, a five star runtime. We never guaranteed how. It could just be us hanging out. You want to hear me answer emails? (laughs) <laughs> yeah maybe the Actually, magic yes. is just not shutting the fuck up uh maybe it's see shut the fuck up fridays is one thing but here oh. like for the rest of the week waypoint radio uh just keeps going for that five-star runtime uh no i think this is one of those things that we've sort of been discussing for a minute slash multiple years like do i have two full-length video game podcasts worth of cool thoughts about video games I'm playing in me each week. There is the longest response to an Austin prodding on what do we got, which is every Sunday evening of what do you got? And then it's just a bunch of people going <laughs> creaking door noise as uh insert. You know that game I was playing two days ago? Still playing it. Yeah. Haven't made a ton of progress, what with the work week and all. Uh, one of the key members of this podcast no longer plays video games on the weekend. Kind of an issue for a Monday podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's funny because the origin of Waypoint Radio, Vice Gaming's new podcast, uh, uh, is that... Uh, I had done Bombing in the AM with Scoops and the Wolf with Alex Navarro when him and I were the first 
uh, like not in office, like remote work employees. And so we weren't on the bomb cast anymore. And I still want to do a podcast. I liked Alex. And so we started doing some doing that podcast in the morning together. And my pitch was, hey, I don't know that you and I have it was just the two of us. Plus, we had regular guests, you know, two and a half hours of things to talk about. But like there's stuff that happens at the beginning of the week and the end of the week. We're going to do more of a news focus. What if we split it up? And that was something like Austin really liked that podcast. And he said, what if we do that here? And then we can cover more stuff. Um, And then as we expanded in staff as part of what became sort of one of the uh, (laughs) part of the identity of Waypoint is the five star runtime. What became what should have been a three hour podcast split in two twice a week became a two to two and a half hour podcast (laughs) each time twice a week. Um, And one of the things I think as a group, as we're in this transition period where we go from, you know, Austin having been with us, you know, full time to part time with a podcast host to this before we get to what's next. And there are lots of things we're working on. But like part of that is like reevaluating, like, how do we record these podcasts? When do we record these podcasts? This one is now being recorded after lunch. We got belly mm. full of, of food. Uh, did you not eat? Uh, did you not? Eat, are you gonna eat lunch after the podcast recording, Kato? Well, no, I ate. I ate. I was, okay. I, was right. I was excited. I was like, actually, you know what? What'd you have for lunch? Oh, I, I, thought, I thought that was just you. Go. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> Kato, you do eat lunch at a dinner time, and so yeah, I thought it was you yeah. just remembering. Oh, I didn't eat. I didn't eat lunch. No, I got um, it just under the wire. I had a no, I had salami s- sandwich with meat from Ooh. our local uh, butcher. That is very good. That makes, I had some uh, le- leftover. Premises. Uh, Noki from a, an Italian place Ooh, nice. nearby, which uh, Noki uh, is one of those foods. I think it heats up better um, than you get it. I mean, it's still good fresh, but I just it's one of those mm. that I purposely don't <laughs> eat. I eat as little as possible to be full because I'm more excited about warming it up the next day when the cheese <laughs> is just like just a gooey and clumps in the corner. And you want uh, it's just mm, it's delightful. Uh, well, before I finish this aside, Rob, what did you eat for lunch? Um, so I did more of a brunch thing, really. Mm. Um, we went out for a walk with the dog, and uh, I enjoyed a croissant sandwich. Hell a, yeah. Uh, wow. You were walking and, and eating at the same time? Pardon? Walking and eating? No, no. I walked oh. to a cafe, um, and, and I okay. sat there and enjoyed some beautiful uh, you know, morning air and enjoyed my Croissant sandwich, not a croissandwich, which is the Burger King uh, equivalent. Uh, but this was like not that. Uh, but it was it was probably a little bit better uh, for that. So yeah, that was that was my uh, brunch. What's, uh, your, what's your breakfast sandwich order? What is it? What's on it? You can't just say croissant sandwich and not give us the details. Yeah, I feel no, like no, Rob, sausage, has, and Rob has like strong opinions on sausage, his egg, and really? cheese. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a solid answer. Okay, here's the problem. Good answer. Bacon, egg, and cheese <laughs> is great, but the problem is so few places serve up good bacon. Yeah. Where it's like, here's two paltry little, like, translucent strips of, like, rubbery flat. And if I'm going to have that, I'd rather have it on the side on its own, which is I'm also the same way. It's like I, I, I've moved out of – part of it was – I got so that during that period, I don't know, ten years ago maybe, where it was like put oh, bacon everything in everything. Like bacon? Yeah, hated it. Like it like few things have culturally gotten under my skin the way, the way that, that did. Um and <laughs> like almost as like a, a result of that, I I sort of like 
still liked bacon, but was just like in very selective instances. But I, I'm with you that usually bacon at a, especially like fast, faster food places, even like decent places, like it, you better just have it on the side. And sausage just seems like to be more consistent in its, yeah. e- even in its averageness um, on a on a sandwich. I do a sausage egg and pepper jack, get a little extra spice Ooh. on there. Well, very small cake. <laughs> so anyway, speaking of consistency in its averageness, uh, let's yeah. get back to our podcast plan. <laughs> yeah, um, which is that we are, we're going to start changing things out. Like, yeah, one of those was that we're recording in the afternoon. Uh, one of those is that we are in this like in-between period. We're going to experiment with the Monday podcast being formatted a little bit differently. Um, and today is a, a version of that. And this right, is because Rob? you mm-hmm. don't play games on the weekend because you're like busy being a father. Well, and also two times I, over now. Uh, true. And it's also that I like watch movies with my wife on Friday and Saturday. And so it's like, I guess at 1115 <laughs> after I've had four beers as she goes to bed, I could boot up life is strange <laughs> and see if I can make it through half of a chapter. Um but it's that it seems like a, a poor a poor use of, of my look. In a couple of years, my children will want nothing to do with me and have friends, and then I will have Sunday. Like there are neighbors down the street who have older kids that play with our kids, and I'm like, wow, we've had them over here all day. Um, they've been home by themselves doing whatever they want for eight hours. So like that, the world is that world's coming yeah. for me at some point. Um. And, and really, actually, it would be sooner than you think, except that, uh, like, you know, Jessica's old enough to do it. You know, she can be left unattended, um, but uh, the baby um, will put dirt in her mouth. <laughs> Although we're a pro dirt in the mouth family. So it's more um, uh, this weekend. We after they took. Oh, so after they took away the 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 bouncy house, the the, the pirate ship, um, my daughter fucking landlords, the, <laughs> the, the, the year and a half year old uh, found that they left one of the giant metal sharp stakes. Um, out there, I go over there and I'm like, what do you have in your hand? That looks like the, the weapon that the, the Candyman uses. Uh, and it turns out there was an extremely sharp stake that she was just dragging behind her <laughs> throughout the, throughout the, the backyard. So she can't be, she can't be left alone. But yeah, anyway, this, this podcast is today. We're going to do a little bit of video games and then we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. And we, uh, we gave Kato the option to do a mailbag or if he watched an episode of two of Ted Lasso <laughs> and then decided to shotgun it and, and he did. So we're going to, we're going to talk about um, season one and yeah. most of season two of, of Ted Lasso after the break. So this is kind of what's, this is kind of the new waypoints in some ways yeah. uh, where rather than conducting an impromptu graduate seminar on four <laughs> different topics, um, we're instead just going to be like, what's up? What are you into? Did and you like? Yeah. <laughs> what are you into? That could be, you know, give me a little, uh, give me a little jingle. And the Come answer, on. ideally, will not always be. Well, here's some shit I streamed this weekend because uh, I had nothing better to do. Exactly. So we're like, oh, we're also open to ideas. You know, like it, I think that, but the idea is basically we're trying to take this time to reevaluate, especially because also part of this to be like perfectly transparent is like. It's the it's the three of us, you know, and, and Gita will be yeah. able to pinch hit and we'll have folks from Motherboard um, later this week. I don't want to. We're going to have a guest. I'm going to just say that instead, instead of like, uh, we're pretty sure that's happening, but I, I don't want to like fully jinx it. But we're going to bring in more more folks. But um, we're just like it's just, you know, we hope to have 
more people helping us in the future. Right now, we don't. And so we need to also make sure we can deliver quality podcasts where we're energized and have things to talk about and we're excited. Because, um, you know, you, you listen to this, you're paying for Waypoint Plus. We want to make sure that we're not stretching ourselves too thin. The things that we are come, hitting up to, to whack um, could be home runs and not just feeling as though we got to do all the shit the way we did it before and as long as we did it before and as much as we did before. I mean, nothing's going away. There's still be two streams. There's still be, you know, plus podcasts, but we're just trying to rethink how we do them so we're still excited and energetic given that we have um, one less uh, voice uh, among us on a regular basis. Yeah, I can't be I can't be out here breaking the wheel every week uh, when it all becomes too much for me. It's like, oh, this content. Uh, what's the next thing I can destroy? Of course, the great, the great irony of all of this is that we're going to record an after dark with Dawson tonight. <laughs> yeah, we're pacing ourselves. Uh, absolutely, we're we're keeping that balance uh, really, really well, um, and that's why we're reconvening uh, late at night to record what I'm sure will be a quick uh, waypoint oh, after yeah. dark. Absolutely. Um, so, shall we get into? Uh, well, Patrick, you said you had framing for our next. I topic, had a framing so. device. All right, so we're gonna, we're going to save. Our big, meaty, 90-minute, you know, whatever discussion of Deathloop uh, for, for later in the week. Um, we'll hopefully have a guest, um, and I'll have played, you know, even more of it. But I think it remains, even as of today, um, what is Deathloop, what do you do, and what is the structure? And I think if we, ex- if I think talking through that question, explaining what you do, will get us through the high level of what we think of this game, and then we can really dig into it on Thursday because uh, Austin pointed this out in one of our group uh, chats and I noticed it as well. Um, it appe- when if you if and when you play Deathloop, you will also come to understand pretty quickly that uh, the game understands it has a lot to explain because I don't know that I've played a longer tutorial for a game. Um, not that it's handholdy necessarily, but there's a solid three hours before this game goes. Huh. You got it. It's that's the loop. The vibe is so strongly like a game master teaching you a new system while uh, also yes. trying to uh-huh. explain the world behind like of the of the fiction. And so that is a huge like shotgun blast of information because you're simultaneously trying to teach the player like, okay, so here's what you do. Here's how you need to conceptualize your role uh, in this game. And then also simultaneously, here's what you need to know about the world and like who you are as a character and what your goals are and who your enemies are. Um, And it doesn't help that the structure of this game is... I still think it actually is complicated. Like it's, it's, it's both both simpler than I thought and more complicated than I assumed. And I I would also point out that I think that that three hour tutorial, which I more or less just finished, which, which are where it concludes with you getting, you know, taking out one of the first, uh, like where the game kind of takes off the, the, the reins is when you kill a villain and an eternalist for the, for the first time. Um, and I finished that and I, um, I think it's a really, I think it's really well done. Um, but it is, it is interesting how the game structures itself to the player in the opening, even just to explain, here's what you are, here's, here's what you're doing. Here's why you should care. And here's how you're potentially going to go about it. Um, Patrick, you already made a really really revealing slip up though. Mm. 
you don't kill an Eternalist for the first time at the end of the uh, tutorial. Well, sure. Yes. Okay. That, but this is the issue, right? There's also a million proper nouns in Hell this yeah. game that it's going Hell to. Yeah. No, Kato. <laughs> sometimes, like, there can be a bit. They can be a bit much, especially when you don't have time to really, like, really drive home what this term equates to. Like, sometimes it can be really enticing. Like, ooh, I oh, wonder what I that love means. That. That's the point of a proper noun, right? It's like, oh, it evokes a thing, but you don't need to know exactly what it is. Yeah, but sometimes it's like somebody sliding an unmarked glossary table like across, the, like, yeah. a, like at you, and being <laughs> like, eventually we'll fill this in. Yeah. Um, I because mean, yes. like the Eternalists are just the bog standard like dudes you run into here and just murk all the time. Oh, right, right. The right, visionaries, right, right, right. yeah, there you go. Sorry, are the. Big yeah. boss characters, and the one go. that you encounter toward the end of the Patrick. I think we can. Ta- I think this is not a spoiler because it's <laughs> she's on the cover of the game, and it's been in all the trailers. Like mm. your primary antagonist here is Juliana, yeah, uh, who is like you, a visionary who is repeating this loop and is trying to stop you from breaking it. Now you might be asking. Looping? How how does any of this work? Well, we'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, so I think in terms of what is Death Loop, um, I think the simplest thing to say is it is a run based stealth immersive sim, um, which stealth being kind of already a loosey goosey word because well, it's, you're going well, you loud know, a lot. Yeah, you. It's it is a game in which stealth is encouraged, is powerful. Um, but the stealth fail state is not, it is not how you would feel in a Dishonored where in this game, the lack of a quick save, quick load does not feel like it's holding you back necessarily. Mm. Like this is a game in which you are going to go loud. The AI field, uh, of alert is not obnoxiously high. You can, the game also has a mechanic in which if someone's going to go alarm other folks, if you just take them out, I think you can also disable their radio with your... Uh, the brilliantly titled, what is it like, Hackamajig? Hackamajig, <laughs> um, which is great. I mean, it just there are so there are so many like as much Kato as as Rob is right to point out. This game does throw kind of like a glossary of proper nouns at you in a way that, like, I'm sure halfway through the game you look back and go, "Fuck yeah!" But at <laughs> first can be sort of like, ah, like mm-hmm. we just slow down and like let me like get into the flow of it a little bit. Um, but th- there are really good ones like hack a jig that it just sticks with there's that never at least in the you know five hours i've played or whatever it's not like it comes back with like here's the technical term for this it's just like no you just keep calling it a hack a jig <laughs> so the the other part is um so to the dozen of you who played prey moon crash that was a run based danielle and her many clones yeah the people who played prey moon crash <laughs> That was a run-based game. I was actually getting really far in it, and then my computer started shutting down randomly. And at the time, I thought, boy, Prey Moon Crash is buggy. Au contraire. It wasn't a Prey Moon Crash problem. Uh, <laughs> it was a Rob's PC problem. But anyway, that's all in the past. Uh, but that was a game where... So you would be revisiting the same location over and over, but you'd be playing, like, different characters, uh, and you'd have different objectives in sort of the... Um, sandbox of the moon base in the Prey universe. This is kind of 
similar insofar as um, even though you're the same character, you have multiple locations to visit each day. Um, every like there's all, this entire game takes place in one day. It is the same day, repeating again and again. The exact same things will happen every day if you do not interfere. You cannot. Uh, and there's three. And there's three uh, uh, times of day: uh, morning, four. afternoon, four. Isn't morning, it? afternoon, evening. I thought it was three. Noon. Maybe you're right. You forgot noon. So it's morning, uh, noon. noon, afternoon, and night. And there's four locations uh, in the game. Now, everything's going to be the same, except what you choose to de- do in this game in, in each day. Uh, however, what you do will not carry through from one run to the next. This becomes a problem because ultimately your goal is to kill seven people in these four time slots uh, that you've got, and they're all in different places. And as you learn very quickly, they're under instructions to not be in the same place at the same time because they know you're gunning for them. So what you're going to have to do first is you're going to do a lot of runs, just getting your bearings and figuring out like what's happening on these zones. Who am I after? It's a lot of like just getting a sense of the characters and the state of play. But it's, it's a and lot of what you, also- what you traditionally do in these types of games. It's a lot right. of like slow exploring. It's a lot of it's a lot of what you imagine when we talk about the future of the immersive sim. It's interesting to then get a game like this, and frequently you're you're doing what we talk about, like exploring a space, picking up. Uh, you know, you know, uh, data pads and voice memos, which are, cl- man, I fucking love that the voice memos play through the PlayStation speaker, controller speaker <laughs> rules. Um, I'm sure it doesn't meaningfully change the game, but it's just a tiny detail that I like delight at every single time it happens where the voice memo is coming through the speaker while I'm like off. You know, exploring I ended up a different holding part. it to my ear uh, <laughs> to like make it a little clearer because, yeah, I was like. I can't hear you as well as the rest of my sound system. So eventually I just put it on the center channel speaker. Fair. Um, but yeah, so the, now you do learn early in this tutorial, like how you can infuse things with residue, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of magical uh, mana that you find around the universe. But the biggest, most plentiful supplies are in the visionaries you kill. Um, and you were able to spend that on like binding items and gear to you so that the next time you respawn the day, day, the day loops, you will have some of what you acquired, uh, on a pass run. Um, the, where this gets, where, where I think this also addresses some of the weaknesses of like a lot of stealth games, like maybe Dishonored, uh, being, being one. A lot of stealth games, I think, really, they let you just carve a bloody swath through them, but also they're, like, pretty inelegant. Like, you didn't really master this level. You didn't, like, you just killed everyone. That's not really, like, what you were supposed to do. And Dishonored even goes so far as to say, like, if you just massacre your way through these levels, you're a monster and you will get the bad ending. Uh, So, like, watch your kill count. Here, it's very much like one nobody's really dying per se because they're all going to loop. Uh, so you might as well just gun them down. It's all going to be repeated. They're yeah, going to be If you want to do a, a run through an area where you mow everyone to death because you picked up 
the chain gun equivalent or you you set up a row of uh turrets and just bait people into coming over by you um that's fine there are no consequences because then you can just explore the area calmly yep reset and then oh this is what i actually need to do now that uh all these characters are back into their sort of pattern to their ai behaviors and you can kind of go go from there yeah and so after that recon phase, uh, there's two last things. The visionaries all carry slabs, which are basically like if you played Dishonored, you had those uh, outsider powers that you're given and you unlock like a whole menu of outsider powers. Basically, each visionary has their own outsider power and it's connected to a, a, a little arcane slab that they carry with them. You kill them. You take their slab. You now have their power. You'll have to kill them again and again, and you have to slab again and again to make it as powerful as it can be. That's how you sort of upgrade your uh, super abilities. And so you're going to have to kill these fuckers multiple times before you sort of maxed out what your character can do. Uh, but ultimately, to break the loop, you're going to have to kill all these people in one day, which means you're going to have to figure out some way to make the day change course and cause some of these characters to converge or cross over or figure out if there are already places that they're converging that you didn't know about. Because while nothing in the game world changes, what you know about the game world changes and opens up new possibilities uh, as you like discover, oh, I know, I now know the keypad location, the, the keypad uh, number for this door that if I open it first thing in the morning, I will you know, get some critical information or a critical character will be there. Um, and so that's ultimately what you're doing. And I think what's kind of cool about that is a lot of times the structure of immersive Sims, what's really cool about them and impressive is the way they're constructed, right? Like it's sort of cool to see like, how do the gears turn? What, what are the dependencies that exist? How does doing one thing over here cause something else over here to change? But in the course of a single player campaign, like Dishonored, how many times are you going to run these levels to actually fully see how all these pieces fit together? So a lot of it ends up, even though it's cool and you know it exists, chances are for most people who play these games, it's not going to be evident or you're not going to experience it on that level. Um, and then you're going to enjoy your campaign and then you'll be done. Uh, Deathloop is kind of predicated on you're going to see all this stuff. You're going to internalize how it fits together and how all the pieces of these levels fit together, because eventually to beat this game, you're going to have to use all that knowledge to put together that like perfect run. Um, the catch, of course, is that your foil, Juliana, does not want you to do that. And this is why my review is late. Hmm. Did Juliana's taking you down? Yeah, I made a mistake. I left... I left my game open to invasions. Um, ah. They're, yeah, they're they're just using, uh, they're borrowing that playbook. Well, you you can be invaded. It's just whether you're choosing to be online or offline, right? Like Juliana still exists as an antagonist who yeah. can invade your world uh, if you're if you're offline, which you can choose to do freely, just like the Souls games, like gave you the option to uh -huh. to play play offline. Um, but as someone who, you know, your first encounter with Juliana is against an AI, and I, my guess is the difference in fighting AI Juliana and a player player character Juliana is a, a fairly fundamental uh, difference. <laughs> so I was like, I'm pretty good at these games. 
<laughs> yeah, have I ever played yeah. any of them on a console? No. But I'm pretty confident that mm-hmm. with my savvy understanding of immersive sims, uh, like it'll be one of those you're trapped in here with me type moments if somebody comes along and fucks with me. Uh, so I played a lot of this game open. So people could invade me basically at will. And with unerring accuracy, it was right like in the third part of my day when I was like, all right, got a lot of residue, got a lot of things figured out about to like embark on a, you know, major new uh, stage of this then to figure out what's going on. Now, crucially, you don't have to repeat all the steps. You can skip around different parts of the day if you just want to like target doing one thing and learning one thing in one zone at one particular well, and, and time. Also, I think like it explains answering a basic question of the structure, this game has like very specific objectives for you to go at that help break down the larger yeah. have to, it's not just you're in this world, go kill <laughs> the guy, um, go after, you know, this, this, this visionary. Um, there'll be things that like lead you along the way. It also does a really smart job of when you discover a piece, key piece of information. Um, it marks that for you and says like, like uh, like one of these, for example, uh, early on in the game, you come across this reacher, researcher, and in one of the notes it says, they're hiding their control panel somewhere. Um, maybe if you use one of these items, you'll be able to reveal it in the world. And I haven't bothered to figure that out, but that puzzle is marked and like has a hint about it. And like that's another thing that I can do if I'm coming back through that area again for a run to do X, Y, or Z. The game is giving you like, uh, macro and micro sort of objectives along the way. Cause that was one of my questions when, before the game came out was like, are you really just dropping me in, into a giant map in which I have to study all the AI behaviors? And like, that just sounded overwhelming. And the thing that I sh- wanted to just make clear to people was like, the game does seem to do a pretty great job of like breaking that down into like digestible, understandable. If you're not sure what you should do next, here's a thing for you to go do that will like lead you on a path to putting together both in the game, like, hint system, and then also, or note system, I suppose, um, and just your own sort of, like, you know, internal uh, encyclopedia of knowledge of the world. Um, but, yeah, then you have these moments, which sounds like you're about to get to, where uh, you get invaded. And the, pa- the where it, it chafes up against the nature of playing these games, which is, I'm going to go at my own pace as slow as I fucking want to, and uh, I've got a plan, and I'm sticking to it until Juliana invades and you have to not do that. Well, and it's not like when Juliana arrives, like the rest of this game, you'd be like tiptoeing around little pink Panther theme playing as you're sort of like <laughs> darting around and being like, whoop, got you know, my nail gun. That's also functioning as a stealth, like as a, uh, as a dark gun to tranquilize the enemies, except it's a nail to their head. <laughs> and then Juliana arrives. And it is Goldeneye, basically. Like, it is run and gun time. Like, you better be on your fucking game because there's going to be shots flying around from every direction. There's going to be high explosives dropping out of the sky. Um, And so the thing is, like, if Juliana shows up at the start of a run, which kept happening to me, I would be like, all right, time to start my stealth run. And I would get the Juliana has invaded. And I'm like... I only brought my nail gun. <laughs> like I was going to pick up some good shit along the way, but like I got a nail gun and like a machine gun that jams a lot. And I have a, I have a 
power that lets me become invisible, but only the stupid AI. And I'm extremely <laughs> fucking visible to players, I'm pretty sure. Um, so every time Juliana arrives, immediately it's like, I don't keep my cool. And this is like, so immediately I'm like, oh shit, Juliana's on me. And I just start running around the level and like tripping over every single every single like pod of enemies and just pulling <laughs> aggro like right and left. And uh, so I- instead of it just being like one-on-one, like cult versus Juliana, like it is on the cover, it's this completely unfair rigged bogus version <laughs> of Deathloop <laughs> where it's me versus every NPC on the map and a player who is just like sadistically mocking me and like <laughs> seems to be like making it really personal and weird. Um, and so this, the fact that this continued to happen after I went to friends only concerns me greatly <laughs> about <laughs> there was one last night. Somebody came into my game when I was friends only and they spawned Juliana. Like I got right behind me. Like it was like Juliana has invaded. I turn around. There she is. I got <laughs> shotgun blasted off a cliff. <laughs> and then like I got killed a few minutes later um, trying to stealth. Oh, there's corpse runs in this game. We'll get to it next week. Uh, later this week. Point is, uh, I didn't figure out who that person was. Usually it tells you like, oh, here's this person's uh, like tag for who invaded your game. Ooh. Didn't tell me. Wow. Dang. Maybe it was just AI Juliana and it just got like a cheap garbage kill, uh, <laughs> like by spawning behind me. Yeah. But like it felt human. <laughs> That's good. Anyway. So you like so you like Deathloop? I do. Um I am so relieved that it's so much more fun than it seemed to be on that like gameplay session we watched, mm. where I was like, I still don't really follow the structure of this. I'm still I am still really uncertain about whether I find it cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think about this some more because, like, I still am just not sure. The The characters that you're up against are supposed to be kind of annoying shitheads, and you're supposed to, like, kind of hate them and everything. I get it. At the same time, they're really annoying. Like, there's very few characters here that I'm not like, I want this person to like just stop existing it's not even i want to kill them because that's like part of the game it's more like i just don't want to hear from them anymore like (laughs) they're just kind of getting on my nerves crucially colt and juliana are the exceptions to this which is oh they are there the writing is great the voice acting of both is tremendous i i have openly cackled like colt is so fucking funny like and it's not just the like the performance is exceptionally fighting where like the words on the page are good, but then the performance brings them to life in such a way that I it's just delightful. Like every time the two of them have a new interaction is exciting. Um, it's and they it's, have tons it's really like good. it is. I'm impressed with how much uh, usually they exchange a little bit of banter at the start of each like run you go on. And I've heard a lot of exchanges and have not heard a loop yet. <laughs> um, so I'm impressed by that. Uh, so that's a, that's a key exception because the two characters you're going to hear the most from are pretty strong. Uh, in terms of like the 
NPC Eternalists who stock the game. I don't know. Um, the Visionaries, I'm not sold. Um, I still think the style can be a bit of... It's a it's a good-looking game, because I think that's just Arcane's bag. They're, they're so good at, like, gorgeous-looking, evocative worlds. But I don't know. I'm still, like, not sure how I feel about the style stuff. Um, but anyway, that's, like... So, that's us on the concept and structure of the game. Later this week, we can finally maybe start talking about, like, actual beats and, like, yes. how this stuff is landing. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to, to doing that. And then we're going to, uh, we're also going to stream, you're going to stream some, some Deathloop on Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that'll go well. Yeah. Yeah. Based on what you've said so far, I think you're going to have a great time. I should just buy it on PC before that. Cause can you go? Can you invade multi-platform invade? Or are you uh, once you're on PC, you're on PC probably, right? You probably. I think it, I don't think it's cross-platform. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I'm a little bit. The thing is, I think the PlayStation Five is holding me back. Yeah. Oh, oh. That's oh, like wow. I think. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the first to first show you the shooter. What are you doing with the fucking controller in here? Get out of here. Exactly. See, Kato gets it. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just hundred percent. I'm trying. If it to, ain't made like, by Bungie, you can't fucking use two sticks. It's not gonna work. Yeah. Yeah. Destiny's the only good first person shooter on consoles. Come at me. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, Kato's putting markers down. Uh, Erwin. I think we'll probably end up doing the PS5 because that's where I'll have the most stuff unlocked. Although on Friday, all we have to do is I just open it up to the public and like, oh my God. I might get get nowhere. People have been right. No wonder Rob's been building about this game. You <laughs> fucking sucks. Oh, my God. <laughs> there was a there was a real sad one where I swear to God, Juliana invaded immediately. And all I had was like my nail gun and the single shot rifle that you yeah. get. And I was just like hiding inside the tunnels where you start the game. And I was like, maybe she'll get bored and leave. <laughs> Did she? No. <laughs> uh, however, there was one time that Juliana did seem to get bored and leave. Like, she never found me. Like, I was off yeah, doing mission go. shit and she just never tracked me down. So uh, we'll see. But anyway, uh, we'll be back later this week with a. Uh, death loop checked in. I almost said uh, dishonored. Uh, <laughs> a, a death loop check in. Um, before we go to break, anyone else playing anything cool? Did you try Life is Strange? Did you did you play that at all? No, because I watched uh, two seasons, two and one and one and three quarters of <laughs> seasons of TV uh, instead. Right. So I'm definitely gonna play that game though. So we'll probably talk about that on Thursday. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I've I played a little bit more, but I'll I'll save that for. I, I will say episode three is really strong. Um, so I'm excited for you to to I play hear, more. Yeah, I'm hearing it dips in two a little bit, right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But okay. yeah, but episode three is um, it's got a really good. I don't I don't want to spoil any of it. Great. It's just got a really good bit. Um, uh, and we can we can dig into more of that when when you've had a chance to to see it for yourself. Um, have you been playing anything else? Uh, I started Eastward, but oh, right. very, very early on in Eastward. Okay. All I will say is that if you haven't heard of this game, it looks stunning. You should check it out. That's what kind of caught my eye at first. Was like this is amazing, 
pixel art uh uh art style that is like taking small hints and notes from things like um the character design out of like uh the earthbound games uh like the kind of like style of that but like kind of way more detailed than those were um but in a very like beautiful way um but it is also an rpg and so uh i feel like they're definitely looking at earthbound and um yeah i i like started it up and got to like the first tutorial fight and then got had to do something else so also we'll probably come come back around on that on thursday oh i have a little follow-up Remember when y'all, I was like, oh, I'm right at the end of uh, Judgment. Uh-huh. Not much left. And y'all were like, yeah, okay, Zach Nay. I was like, Gotta no, I'm more pretty JRPGs. Much uh, Yeah, it turns out there was like 90 minutes left, maybe two hours. And that's not so bad. The yeah. game even tries to warn you. Like, the game's like, hey, if you plan on sleeping, you might not want to start this next section. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It's good. Like, you gotta go to bed. Like, maybe just leave it for tomorrow. Uh, just save here because it's going to get a little intense. And I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I know how finales work and everything. So I tried to, I played through like an hour of that. And then I tried to squeeze the rest into halftime of the opening game of the NFL uh, last week. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll just finish it over halftime. Maybe I'll have to catch a bit of it on DVR, but like it won't be long. No, it was like a full another 90 minutes. The ending probably came in closer to three hours, but I will say, uh, I finished about as high as I was on it uh, when when last we we talked about it. Like it was already sort of like a nine in terms of intensity, and then it was like, do you want to see just the preposterous bloodbath that this game is going to end with? And I was genuinely surprised by uh, how brutal it got there at the end. It was awesome. That rules. Well, I'm glad I'm glad it ended ended well for you, and you had a little. Uh... A little lesson in JRPG finales, you know, just a little <laughs> knowledge for the future on how on what those games mean by we're wrapping up. All right. Well, uh, we will take a quick break and then I think we're gonna be talking about uh, a show we've been enjoying question mark this season. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm deeply curious to see <laughs> what, what Kato's takeaway is from shotgunning a season and a half of it uh, all, all at once um, and how, how things hit a little bit differently for him. But yeah. All right. Back after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side. Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So after this break, uh, 
we already recorded it, but we had a very good but very spoilery discussion of Ted Lasso uh, to the point where if you haven't seen it, one, I'm not sure it'll make a lot of sense to you, but two, <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled on literally everything that happens in every unexpected plot twist, you might want to hold off on this until you've had a chance to catch up to the show. So, Patrick, did you and I get into Ted Lasso at the same time, like around last, like last summer, late uh, last summer? Yeah, well, I we did I watch it? I think we watched it as it came out, maybe a couple of weeks in. I, I, I mostly rode, I mostly rode the hype wave, um, <laughs> like the the reviews. They say like over at Rolling Stone, there's review this critic Alan Sepinwall, like basically by taste, like almost universally align with his, and he was extremely high in the show, and that came along with a bunch of reviews that were basically like it was hard to t- what was hard to tell was uh is it remarkable they turned in a half decent show based off a throwaway like NBC commercial bit from five years ago, and then. But does that mean it's actually a good show? Um, so I, I think I caught. I think we started like mid season and then started watching it week to week um, through through the end of that first season from last year. Yeah, I uh, I got into it when my screener codes showed up from uh, the WGA because <laughs> um, you know I got to weigh in on that stuff. Oh, of course, uh, I'm, I'm, you got to wait till the discourse says wound down just a just a tiny little bit um so that you know rob can go in with a a full head yeah i mean i gotta i have to i have to be above all that i I can't be like caught up in the passions of the moment uh i have to come in with sort of a detached considered perspective uh and and sort of assess the work uh from a respectful uh but critical distance and so I started watching Ted Lasso when it was only like two episodes left in the uh, in the first season and immediately was like, this is so much better than I thought it was going to be that I must watch like five episodes in one night uh, <laughs> and then the rest the next day. Um, and so that's that was kind of my experience of uh, Ted Lasso season one. Um, I have been considerably more ambivalent about this season. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but Kato, like you, like we were going to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, and you decided you, t- you take a flyer on it. Yeah. Uh, so what's your Ted Lasso experience been? Um, so yeah, I like, I had heard about it and heard good things about that first season, you know, that got pretty hyped up, but I never got around to it because it's a, you know, Apple TV thing. Um, and then we were talking about doing this conversation, so booted up my PlayStation and got my free six months through signing up through <laughs> Sony. Uh, and the um, you six know, I usually months? yeah, six months. That's free. a deal. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I, I mean, they having a, a PlayStation year every 5. time you buy like any any of their Apple devices. devices. Yeah. Like, please, please take. I mean, I saw <laughs> I think something this week that they have something like forty million subscribers, but is it really a subscriber if 20 million of them are, you know, using the, the free sub yeah. they get with their <laughs> with their device? Um, but yeah, I sat down and watched it with my wife because we always watch TV together. And it was kind of contingent on whether or not she liked it enough to like shotgun it, which absolutely we've done before with shows that we enjoy. And it it hooked us pretty quickly. Um, 
we did the whole first season uh on Saturday and then started season two and then kind of did season two uh a couple episodes of season two on Sunday and I finished it up this morning. Um yeah, much higher on season one, even like all at once. But I will say that I feel like it's weird. I want things that are happening in season two to have maybe happened more in season one in a way. Um, I think that it gets to it eventually in season one. But at first I found him kind of an unbelievable character. Like there was not and like they kind of do a slow reveal on this but like there wasn't any like chink in the armor there to be like okay this is a person like not some like weirdly like well too well put together and like emotionally aware person that has no flaws which is kind of where he starts right like it seems like he understands people and their emotions he's modern he's like modern like feminist leaning masculine like under put together but also good old boy yeah, it, it was like a like, boy, but also a wife guy. Much <laughs> like I feel like there's got to be something, and there ends up being more nuance to that character. But you know, at first there was definitely a read of like, "Wow, this person's just like supposed to be like, you know, like this is the only way that they could uh, get this team off the ground is to bring in like the pitch perfect person that will just understand what coaching really is or whatever." You know. So this is. And I think this is you. You sort of touched on something that kind of explains maybe some of my issues with season two. I fucking loved the sports show that season one was right. a lot of times, right. which is that this guy has no business coaching a soccer team. Um, like the the entire remember all this stems from yes, Patrick, a throwaway NBC sketch. Yeah. Uh, about, you know, it's called football over there. What if they accidentally hired a football coach from America to coach a Premier League team? And that's the whole bit. It's <laughs> like, it's just Jason Sudeikis and um, who plays Coach Beard? Uh, Matthew. Uh, that yeah. guy. Yeah, he's that guy. Things. That guy who's in things. <laughs> but, like, the joke is, uh, yeah, Ted doesn't get it and keeps making assumptions about like how the game works and keeps being corrected and sort of done in a mockumentary style. It's perfect for a commercial, yeah. Like a mu- you know, but the idea of like stretching that out even just to th- you know thirty minutes is a pretty preposterous. They have basically endeavor. burned through the content of the uh, sketch in the first two minutes of episode one. Basically, yeah, they like- kind of redo the same the, mm. the same bit, like like you know premise yeah uh, from from those commercials in in the opening and then suddenly it's like oh shit you know where does where does the rest of the, and uh, you know brendan hunt by the way brendan there you go yeah um and, and even by the end of season one i was getting fair like the finale of season one has like two or three you know bits where ted's like well i still don't understand how offsides works and it's like all right come on like even hold on for though nobody of- fucking understands how offsides works <laughs> even right but the people that's the one i'll give them because offsides is a fucking ridiculously impossible to understand rule with many like edge cases <laughs> I mean, I, I get it, but yeah, it's just like yeah. we're at the end of like, the, you know, like it, it worked fine in the beginning because that was part of like the character acclimation. It was part of the understanding like most people watching this show like also probably don't understand 
right. you know, <laughs> uh, like, you know, you know, European football, like slash soccer. Um, it's like that. Like, that's part of like an audience surrogate humor is to like get them acclimated and feel comfortable with the characters. But at the end, it was even a little much for me. It was like, all right, Ted is he's not a dipshit, right? Like he he's he he's not an idiot. And so the idea that at this stage in coaching this team, he would still like it just felt like one of those low hanging fruit for a show that sure, yeah. I thought for like for what it is like is pretty was like fairly highbrow for like the, the kind of like heart achy like half hour comedy that it is, you know, ostensibly presents itself as and then it manages to reach kind of plumb greater depths and then stuff like that would be sort of like, eh, like, is that really, you know, and this is where I, then I often felt like I didn't know where the show was going to go after that. I was like, is there really anything after this other than. Hey, can we shuffle Ted to the side and bring the other characters forward? Because they're do- the end of season one does not necessarily suggest like multiple seasons of of Ted growth or interest. And I think season two is getting to a point where it's su- it suggests that. But um, you know, we we can we can get into that. Well, I think so. The two things that I think season one is doing really well is that uh, for one, you do start to get a sense that there are weaknesses with this guy like our first taste of it is like the realization that like he's hiding out from a marriage that's crumbling Mm -hmm. and you start to realize how bad it is when his wife visits him in that first season yeah and like it's painful because there are two people who clearly love each other but it's done like the relationship is is cooked and she sort of there's a scene where she's sort of crying and she's trying to explain like she doesn't know why it's dead but it is um despite the fact they love each other and having like had some friends who went through divorces like that it's just horrifying when like it turns out that that can be a way that relationships just end is you like, can just fall out of love it's not yeah. no one did anything Cars do, out of gas. I, I remember in that scene they do plant the seed that is beginning to pay off now of like ted what role do you function here um like you know what is this this facade that's not a facade yeah but what is it actually accomplishing um well you like, get a sense it, that maybe it like kind of alienated his wife from him a little, him a little right. bit too. Where like right. that relentless right. sunniness. And you just sense yes. that maybe she's somebody who's not that sunny. Or like most people. Or like even my response to the, you know, the end of season one was uh, a little bit of, um, look, do I think it's cool that there is a show that escalates and censors like other ways of viewing, like dealing with emotions and masculinity? Yes. Also, does kind of the sunny disposition of this show in which there's rarely actual conflict that mm-hmm. uh, I found that to be slightly grating, even as it constantly put a smile on my face. And I still think it's cool that the show yeah. centers that I, I was, I, it's not that I need every show to be cynical and dark. And I understand that Ted Lasso conceptually is, is, is like philosophically not opposed, but running. It's a show that exists because of the moment in time we're in at the end of like, the kind of anti-hero run of like there's a new Sopranos movie coming, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or a Sopranos movie coming out. And Sopranos essentially started like the run that shows like Breaking Bad and Madman run with, which is like, look at these dark, fucked up reflections of us as a society. And then Ted Lasso is sort of like the like, counter to that as we're sort of like running towards the end of that, that anti-hero, like defining um, like the golden age of TV or however you want to, to, to pitch it. So, I think, but I, but I think in that first season, there are conflicts. I think and this was what I worried about at the end of that first season was that it would start to develop like the Parks and Rec problem where like because 
everyone has to like each other on the show. Yeah. And because like ultimately like we want this fantasy of like this happy uh, misfit like family of friends and coworkers like that w- that meant that all the conflict would have to be external to the characters. And I think that's kind of what killed me on Parks and Rec, for instance, is that the interesting places where the characters sort of butted up against each other got worn down, uh, like to the point where it was just utterly frictionless. And well, then, you can also only do it for so long. Right. Like, if that's the conceit of the show, then at some point you got to pull, the, in that first know, pull season, the ripcord and be, yeah. But in that first season, I think there are... Like, Jamie Tart, uh, who's sort of the star player on that team, isn't a prick with a heart of gold underneath. No. <laughs> he is a prick. Yeah. And yeah. he is sympathetic. Like, we learn by the end that, like, like I think one of the best scenes in that, in that season is when they all start uh, sort of burning mementos of things that they're holding on to, but maybe are also holding them back. And, like, Jamie doesn't like necessarily who he is, but he doesn't know how to be someone else and that doesn't go away by the end of the season really like that conflict endures and it's interesting because we know a lot of jamies in the world and i think in high performing fields like sports there's probably a higher than usual incidence of people who are like profoundly talented and profoundly warped in some ways by the experience of being that talented and being shaped by this pressure cooker environment. And these conflicts exist in season one. I I think my favorite, my other favorite scene is um, we start to realize the heartwarming part about Ted Lasso, the show where like, and Kato, you pointed this out. Oh, this team just needed Ted to come along and like believe in them Yeah, to an extent. That's what they needed. But also it's clear that, Ted gets so much out of this of like right. being this uplifting ray of sunshine and the scene where um like coach beard calls him on it where he's like this is a results driven business we are coaches these are professional yeah. athletes like when push comes to shove it's about winning it's about putting together the best team you can and if you aren't doing that anymore if you're making decisions based on these other considerations you aren't doing the job and you're not respecting the job and at that point, what what Ted is hesitating over is is benching uh, breakout star Roy Kent, uh, who you know is a great footballer in the twilight of his career, and all these see all these stuff. These are these are standard like sports movie sports show cliches in that first season, but they're really well executed, and they create some conflicts between characters who remain likable or sympathetic, but aren't resolved simply by being like. Let's hug it out. Let's be let's be besties. And what alarms me in season two is it season two feels so much like the show has become self-aware of how in love people are with the the idea of the show that exists in season one. Yeah, right. Where it's like all good people getting along and like helping lift each other up to be their best. Remember that dart scene from season one? We're 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 going for a lot of those in in season two. And all these bit characters because maybe maybe they did like have a little bit of doubt that like their big character development arc for Ted was going to be he was going to start getting into therapy toward the end of the season but until then they had to mark time so they turn it into it was already kind of an ensemble show they widen the ensemble but nobody's getting screen time and when you do that you end up with a lot of two-dimensional characters who are basically standees moving around the stage (laughs) um and I think it made a lot of these characters who were interesting. You're like, I want to know more about them, 
we didn't get to know more about them in the season. A lot of times in season two, it's like we're just getting more of their bit. Um, and so I was. Yes, I don't know if that's true of like Roy, uh, Roy Kent, though. Yeah. Like, I think if any character gets actual development time, like, interesting, like, we get to see a lot of like his relationship. Like, I think his, the, the side plot about him always being around and happy is like one of the better subplots of of seeds. But I think I think mm-hmm. I think with a lot of the other characters, like a lot of the ancillary players on the team, they only exist to pad out the 30 minutes. I mean, I mean, I think it'd be one of those things where in retrospect, you look at season two and like where it goes. Yeah. I have some confidence at this point that they're probably going to stick the landing in, in a really interesting way, but it does feel like the first half of the season is like a, just a couple of side stories just waiting for yeah. Ted to accept. I mean, they do um, like two that he has a problem. episodes, which was wild right. to me after seeing that first Wait, so season. So Christmas. What's the other one? The fucking rom-com episode. Like, oh, fuck. Three quarters of that script was just references to rom-coms and lines ripped out of Love Love Actually. And like... Which is a shit is, movie. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, but it was... Uh, but people still like to watch it, Rob. Yeah. It might be misogynistic yeah. and it might be bad. It is bad. And it might it be toxic. But, but you know people what? Enjoy Sometimes it. people still watch <laughs> Love Actually. <laughs> This is a pro love actually house. We recognize our faults. And like the episode itself was like fine or whatever, but it's something, it feels like the type of episode that exists in a 24 episode season, not a 10 episode season. I was going to say that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it is, it is full filler that you appreciate in a show that's going to be on for four months. There's still bits even in those episodes that do move forward character development, but it felt like so much of the episode is like focused on like the bit that, it yeah, it feels like a f- like filler, even though there's still a little bit of forward movement. Well, and Kato, the whole like it's all references to romantic comedies and shit. Uh-huh. Already, the way these characters would bring everything to a halt to make some really specific pop culture reference and like I mean, a be real Ted. That's Ted's whole shtick, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> but. That then, was one like, of the entire things. episodes are built around it. And yeah. I'm like, Ooh, boy, boy, this is <laughs> becoming a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and so, yeah, go on. Well, a part of me does feel like they're aiming towards something at the end of this season. And I wonder whether or not the read is correct. Although they've kind of broken from it. Like I was expecting it to maybe, maybe there would be a couple more of those. And it was, you know, like my, my like wild called shot was like, oh, this is about the different ways that Ted kind of, uh, understands his surroundings, right? It's through references, it's through uh pop culture mm. in many ways. Um, but then they 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 drop that and like go back to normal episodes after those two. So it's like <laughs> you know less of a a running theme. That Christmas episode turned me into Scrooge. Man. Oh my god! Like, oh by no. the end of that, like. <laughs> I was, Fuck Christmas. <laughs> just I couldn't. I couldn't. When, <laughs> when it's like, like what's the, the last Santa trip we should make Ted streaks across and the sky go to Higgins' house point? to sing Last Christmas? Right, because now because like, now she sings. We gotta make sure to remind everyone that she can sing really well. <laughs> I, I think it's a joke. Higgins is great. Like, Higgins is great though, and I liked oh, the family yes. dynamic. Yes. I that was the best part of that episode for sure. And that's one of those things where why couldn't have just been an episode about that? Like the fact right. that Higgins is this, like, character who starts in season one as, like, oh, great, here's the punching bag, like, bit character who's just gonna show up and, like, is just there for the other characters to play off of. And then he is one of those characters that kind of just, you don't notice it uh, episode to episode, but if you think back over the course of, you know, the season and a half or, you know, and change, has had quite a bit of development and, like, Mm -hmm. interesting development. And, like, 
is of like the many kind of as, as a positive spinning as the, the flawed characters in the show are like Higgins is probably like the most like I really I don't need him to have like a deep dark secret you know what I mean like it's good right. like he has a happy family life like it's it's you know the, the the darkest you know inclination you get is you know in a recent episode when Jamie comes over to ask for the uh the tickets he's like yeah I don't know my dad ups and downs and like they just kind of leave it at that and like well, you get a little insight the into deep his- dark secret is that he's a guy who can be unsatisfied at work but everything's going great at home yeah. Like the first season, like his life at work is dog shit. Like yeah. he's brought <laughs> yeah. into this horrible, like outlandish plot that his boss is trying to carry out to like fuck up this team well, just like, to part, like spite her ex. Part of the like flaw with him is also that we learned that at some point he was helping. Oh God. Why did I just forget her name? Rupert. Uh, um, well, yeah, he oh, was helping. Rebecca. Yeah. He was helping. Rebe- I was going to say Rebecca's ex, but Rupert. Yes. He was helping yeah. Rupert sneak women around behind Rebecca's back. Right. 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 And, that's true. And yeah, so like, that's a good point. You know, you that. get this, like how much of that is him not like just being spineless in a way and like not being able to stand up to like this objectively morally wrong thing. Right. But he just um, rolls over. Right. right I mean, exactly. even just the smaller things that are ino- like ultimately, I guess, innocuous, but you know how he doesn't have an office. Yeah. Um, and it's played as a bit, but you know, it's been a while since I've watched season one and I forgot about that little yeah. <laughs> detail, which is like very important in well, in the origins of the show, which actually, I guess, that, that I guess one, it betrays what I said, which is that he doesn't have like a deep, you know, these deep, dark character flaws. Like he does. He does. Um, bit of a coward. But, but, but he is a coward. And um, but I think that also goes to show like the amount of depth that character has gotten. He doesn't get center stage in the same way that a lot of the other characters do. But yeah. he he still has like if you were to list down like Wikipedia style, all the things related to him. It was all just to say, I really enjoyed that scene. I wish that episode had been more about like, yeah, it is kind of interesting that like soccer specifically has all these international players like, and they don't have families here. They cannot necessarily go back to the places they were from. And like, that seems like probably common. You know, I'm just, you know, pulling that extrapolating that from the show as opposed to like read, but like, it seems plausible. And even if it's not, it's like an interesting wrinkle to the show. And I liked that whole bit and didn't need Santa Claus streaking across the sky. Jesus Christ. That um, killed, that killed, destroyed me. Any, I'd lost. So I was like, all right, it's a theme episode. Until well, the la- kinda, that last it feels, scene it felt fucking very, destroyed me. Yes, like that was even, I think you and I, as people who just sat here and went like, you know what, fuck love actually, but like, actually. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Nah, nah, but, but even that for me was like a step too yeah. far. But I will say, you know, my wife, you know, who is the most, Pro love actually in in the house like was a tr- delight. Like there's just only two ways to go on that episode. Either right. you're just like on the train and you're just like <laughs> I'm going all the way to the end of the station, or uh, I think it's where we ended up. And it was like actually I'm going to get off a couple stops yeah. uh, before I don't want to go meet Santa actually. <laughs> so the one thing, so kind of, did you say you're caught up now on Ted Lasso? Yes, yes, I all right. finished watching it this morning. So I think something else that made season two really grating, though, is that they hang a big old gun on the wall at the start, which is the psychologist who begins consulting with the team. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we're just going to get right into this. For one thing, she isn't. Every character reacts some kind of way to Ted's shtick, right? They're either back footed by it or they're grudgingly won over it by it or they're repulsed by it. She gives nothing in response to it. Like every time he tries his shit, um, she's just blank. Yeah. Like 
doesn't like fully just rebuff it, but also doesn't play along, just gives nothing. And then for a good portion of the season, nothing develops with that. Like the, yeah, where's this going to go? Uh, the answer for a long time is it goes nowhere. Like she helps different members of the team, but we never see any of those sessions. We don't see her doing the work of a therapist uh, until like, and here's, I think where the season is finally starting to find its feet. Um, a series of uh, setbacks and like minor crises, but mostly just spirals of anxiety and, and panic uh, in Ted begin to make it where he is forced to maybe start considering uh, like getting some therapy. And we are starting to get into some of the actual work of this character having to step outside of himself and talk about why he is the way he is. Like a scene that I enjoyed a lot. It's easy to forget that Sudeikis is actually a pretty good actor because like mm-hmm. it can sometimes seem like Ted is just shtick. He's mostly shtick. Um and being anchored by the show. There's the also scene Jason, where she, also Jason Sudeikis as an actor is like been typecast mostly as shtick, like yeah. post SNL and like hasn't really found he's been in some decent dramatic roles, but he's never really like broke out in the way that I think is necessarily as closely aligned with like his talents as like an actor and like a dramatician. And like the show like does a really good job of like no, pulling at what he's good at. Yeah. And like, there's a scene where she sort of asks him like, why do you distrust therapists? Why do you dislike therapy? And for once he's not joking. Like he starts to, he goes off on this, like not quite a rant, but he just unpacks like what he finds detestable about the practice and about the the trade she practices and, and the way they go up with their, their work. And it is a long and pretty ugly uh, speech. And there's not a crack of levity in it. Um, and it's kind of startling to see like, oh, like that's still recognizably like Ted Lasso, but all the, all the shtick, all the good humor, all the reflexive positivity, that's just gone. And you get this little glimpse of just this like, core of anger and sadness um you know and we didn't get that before um and that has and and as we've been exploring that it's made this season more interesting again well especially because the the previous instance i think in season two where they discuss the these uh interactions with a therapist and therapy um like do you you know he's like oh yeah we did that with my my wife before uh you know, we said it's a separate or, you know, divorce. I forget what stage they're actually at in, in that. Um, but, um, you know, he says, oh, yeah, you know, well, I went and felt like I just went there to be told um, all the things I'm doing wrong and how bad of a person I am. And, like, that was his takeaway from what therapy is. And, like, and he does that in his sort of, like, sort of usual Ted Lasso self-deprecating way in which, yeah. like, the it's being written and acted in a way that the audience isn't entirely sure what to take away from it, or you're trying to engineer sympathy to Ted that, Hey, you know, you know, cause at that point it's been a long time. They purposely really don't inject his ex-wife into the show that much. The, the, you know, his kids are not like in the show that much. Like it's, it's very rare when they put that in and it's a long distance, especially if you watch the show since roughly the beginning 
when his ex needles him and, and like, again, plants that seed of like, what is real Ted like, or like Ted without the shtick. And, you know, you, you don't, you get a little bit of there when he talks about therapy, but it's also in a way that sets the audience up to be like, oh, Ted, like, I just want to give you a hug. And I think that just illustrates your point even further, Rob, of like that moment is so important if the show is going to land anything here to be like, what is, what is this guy doing when nobody's watching? Because it uh, frequently feels like even when, when he's, the show is with him alone, he's still performing. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's rare when he's not doing that performance. And, and the show seems to finally be getting at like, what is, what is underneath that shiny exterior? Who even is Ted Lasso? Like, what is this person or is this? And I guess as you know, the revelation at the end of the most recent episode where, you know, you know, it's revealed that his father, um, you know, killed themselves when he was 16. Um, has everything in his life after that event just been about building a character to guard himself from this like psychologically yeah. destructive moment? And what does it mean to spend decades of your life under a facade? Which is like, once you like start putting it that way, it's like, holy fuck. It's an unsettling <laughs> character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, where, it, 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 yeah, it's going to become a question. Like it already is like, uh, who is this character? Uh, it, like, to what degree is this the authentic man, and to what degree is it this uh, like performance that's partly about coping and like building armor? The other thing that intrigues me, though, because it's finally coming to the fore here in the second season. Does Rich does AFC Richmond suck at football? Because it seems <laughs> like they might suck. And that's an interesting wrinkle because the first season they almost do it. They almost come together. Bad news bears. Like we're going to do it gang. And they come this close to avoiding relegation and then down they go. Uh, in the second season, it doesn't seem like they're, you know, you, you get out of the champions league by winning, uh, finishing at the top of the table. And then you promoted up to uh premier league kind of seems like AFC Richmond, despite having their premier league roster in this lower level, Still kind of bad at football. Um, and bad, right? Because they start on a draw streak. Um, and then, like, somewhere in there, I remember them saying, like, oh, they're on a four-win streak. Yes. It feels like they're doing average. Which I guess, if you're talking about Premier League, maybe average in champions is, is kind of bad. But um, part of it does feel like there's... Uh, they're tying kind of the the success of the team with Ted's like mental state, like as it sort of is extra wobbly this season. There, it shows in the players as him not being fully there. Therefore, they're not fully there really. Like they they think they're doing the right things, but they're mostly just going through the motions, which is what explains this sort of in limbo kind of middle ground position they're in. Uh, right. Instead of when the first season where Ted comes in and he writes a like sinking ship and they all like they missed the, the finish line by like a, you know, that one goal. By but, goal. By one but goal. The, the change is immense. And then yeah. as his divorce like gets more real and more um finalized and he starts to mentally, you know, uh become more and more troubled, the team so then just kind of settles in a way where he's not pushing them to be better people there's just like okay we're good everyone's happy but how much is happiness just kind of like contentment can be like not actual happiness it can be like oh 
I'm hiding something. I'm like dealing with something on the back burner that isn't being dealt with, you know? Well, and, and this is, I'm so curious if that's, a, that's an interesting angle where it's like, it could just be the team's results mirror what's happening internally to the players. I'm also kind of curious if so much of the show is about um, the friends we make along the way, etc. But I still kind of am curious that argument that, that Beard makes in the first season still lingers over this, which is ultimately our job is to put together a good football team. Yeah. And right now it kind of seems like in season two, they've not really delivered on that. And I'm kind of curious, like if this show, like how's the show going to address or will it address the fact that the nature of pro sports is that you trade people you like, and you send them out, you fire them, you send them somewhere else uh, because either you can't afford them because mm-hmm. there's a more advantageous trade, but like there's a lot of elements of pro sports, which is why it's so interesting as a stage for the sort of interpersonal drama, where it's like sports in one of the few places where it genuinely isn't necessarily personal. If someone has shown the door, a lot of times it's because we needed something that you couldn't supply, or you just charged too much to supply it, and it was better to send you somewhere else. And I'm kind of curious if like this show is ever going to get into how does a character like Ted Lasso, how does good old Higgins, who's ostensibly the operations manager of this team, uh, how does Rebecca, who it's been referred to the fact the team is bringing in significantly less revenue, not being in Premier well, League. And that, well, okay, but this, and also there, there, there's a plot point that seems they're just going to conveniently never go back to <laughs> and, and just pretend it didn't happen. But like a big part of the arc of the first third of the season is that, you know, one of the characters, uh, um, what's his name? Um, he's the one that does the protest over yeah. the, oh, uh, Sam. Sam, yes, Sam, Sam, uh, basically like he's a rising star on the team and, uh, then he gets to be in a, a like a branded advertisement. He gets a call from his father and he's like, cannot fucking believe you would partner with was an airline. Cafarium. Um, Dubai airlines yeah, owned yes. by Cafarium oil. Yes. And he's like, they're, they're, they are fucking things up where you are from. Why would you partner with these villainous traders? This moment was supposed to be for Sam. It is, it is an acknowledgement that he has arrived, that he can like lead, you know, all, all these sorts of like good feelings and, and his father's response is to tear him down. And he, his response to that is to, to you know, like stage a protest and, and to put, you know, a black, you know, tape over that logo. His, his fellow teammates end up joining them. It's just like really, heartfelt moment and i thought like wow like if they're gonna lean into this as like one of the major arcs of the season um you have a team that is losing or at least drawing which isn't it's you know it's obviously that's it's different in in soccer than it is in like a like a lot of american sports where in terms of like win win and loss where there's not a lot of draws um but if you have a team that's not definitely not winning (laughs) um and is now uh doing financially worse because they've been relegated and now they're going to back uh, their players protesting one of the major um advertisers, and then it's just like the show's re- like answered said as like, oh, don't worry, she found this startup dating app, we, we Tinder, that is gonna, yeah. that is gonna just solve. And you know what, you know, maybe that is putting too much on on the show, but then it's also, you know, the earned credit the show has. We were like, okay, like if we're gonna do this, then do something with it. And it seems that they're just, I I think that is a consequence of the show spinning Mm -hmm. its wheels uh, to get to where we are now and dropping threads that really feel like they should have been paid off 
in some way. And then it's where I mean, that one gets two... semi paid off. Was that in the second season where his dad calls him back about it? Yeah, no, yeah, you get the like, emotional catharsis, but, like, but it doesn't, yeah. like, pra- I mean, but again, it's also it, a show It was which, dropped by being purposefully it, dropped, kind of, like, like yes, look, we're yes, putting up yes. pins, it's, we're moving on. <laughs> yeah. We did it. That's just, yeah. Yeah, they did, we, look, if you just take us a moral stand, everything will work out. I, right. we, you know, that's right. what Boy Point is saying time and time again, if you just say the right thing, the world will follow you. <laughs> Which is not true. And it's just like that, that rings very hollow in a show that yes, is fantastical in so many different ways, but shit like that is like a little too closely associated with the real world. And it, it just, it it just hit the wrong way. It's like, all right, do your fantasy with the interpersonal relationships. But the moment you start introducing like real life protests and, and like that, that stuff, I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way. It feels like they're, they want to do the amount of things that a longer season wants to do. Right. Like, mm-hmm. It's not only 10 episodes, it's 10, like, half hour mostly. Like, some of them hit, like, yeah. 37 or something. But 10 mostly half hour episodes. Uh, it's not a lot of time to do stuff. Like, they're they're working with a lot less uh, road than your average, like, seasonal show. But um, it feels like, and, yeah, and they're like starting it, to like, it, cut the, 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 like, threads there to try to, right. like, focus down on other things. And and I like that because the streaming, like I, I, one of the things I hate the most about the Netflix, like one of Netflix's worst impulses that they lean into with their creators is to just make it as long as you want, do whatever you want, have as many episodes yeah. as you want. Like I, and, and I, like I, I just, I understand the impulse to like, you know, there are, you know, you know, billions of dollars thrown around in, in the streaming wars or however you want to call them, like let creatives do weird things. But I, part of it, I think, as much as I chafe against like that plot point being lost because they don't have more time, they've made a deliberate choice to like mostly be 30 minutes, like which actually made like those re- recent episode, like giving that, I think it was like 42 or 46 minutes. Like yeah. it felt like it earned that chance to breathe. Like it needed those extra beats for all that stuff to, to land and not feel super rushed. And I, and I liked that. Um, but otherwise I enjoy the economy of the 30 minutes. Cause I think it forces the storytelling to be, I think it heightens the strengths and like heightens the weaknesses because it has to be so fast and 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 snappy with what what it's doing. Um, but then, yeah, as you said, Kato, like when they when they start treating themselves as though they are a Parks and Rec or Office, where you have twenty four episodes to like you could bring it back seven episodes mm-hmm. later and pick it up. Mm-hmm. Like they just don't have the room to do that here. And now it's just clear with only a handful of episodes left. Like it's all going to be related to Ted unpacking himself. I think they have said that this is only supposed to be a three season show. Huh. Um which in some ways is like dispiriting that like there's some like like so much of season two like was lost to yes. random yeah. threads. But it may be the case that like you know movies like The Empire Strikes Back uh you know are exceptions to the rule which is that like right. the second of a three act structure the second act is usually just setting up the third and they've said from the beginning it'll be three seasons. I think they'll I wouldn't be shocked if there was like a spinoff or like a Roy Kent sort of thing that like picks up with some of those characters after Ted Lasso like goes home to his family. Oh, or it's, it's a rich like Lassoverse you could build as yeah. these characters yeah. built around. Like, I, I think this, I think world. the show I think the seer, the the franchise will go on even if Ted Lasso is relegated to like a guest character on whatever it does after the three seasons. But like it's one of those things where maybe we look back you know a year and a half from now and go. 
Like they told a pretty tight story yeah. and they kept like they're in, but like part second parts are just difficult because you're just waiting to get to the third well, part. There was something. So this was kind of the thing. I was curious if they will tackle some of the stuff about like the hard decisions, the more cold blooded parts of sports that cut across these relationships. But something I'd sort of been toying around with was it's possible that in the end growth for Ted Lasso will mean recognizing you are not the person to bring this home. Like mm-hmm. you are not the person to bring AFC Richmond back to the top of uh, football because you are not a football. You're not that football <laughs> coach. You are not a soccer coach. Uh, and ultimately, maybe someone closer knows- to an inspirational speaker than anything else. Right. And I was sort of thinking they were setting up this character, Nate. To maybe be the person who was like, uh, <laughs> like, ah, the real diamond in the rough. The per- the, the the end of Ted's arc might be knowing to step aside to uh, this brilliant uh, assistant coach he's got who started as like the team's water boy, uh, Nate, uh, played by, I think, Nick Mohammed. Um, but they've done something really fascinating, and this I do kind of enjoy. They turned the try hard underdog character who finally gets his big chance and has his breakthrough. They turned him into the worst villain on the show in season two. <laughs> and it like, at first there were just weird discordant things. You were like, okay, they're doing something where like, he's gonna be a little bit of a prick and they have to like yeah. slap him down. That eventually happens and it doesn't work. It gets worse. <laughs> yeah. We had to, we had to rewind the last bit of the, f- the most recent episode where he, my jaw hit like, the fucking floor. You, like you, th- you think like, uh, especially given the pace that with this show, uh, kind of like winds through plot points and these character arcs. Like t- t- you know, as we've spoken to pretty, you know, uh, in detail about like the weaknesses of that. But I thought they were done with that. Like oh, like Nate went out there. He said he was sorry. You know, the team forgave him. Like there, you've you've had this character beat that is him uh, inevitably marching towards like him being the like a him being the coach beard to Roy Kent, like as like Ted Lasso and coach beard have, like, Mm. it seems like, Oh, that's what they're building to for the third season of the show. When those characters, you know, like exit stage left. Um, and that may still be the case, but I, I do like that. It's going to be rockier. Like, it seems like we may be headed towards like (laughs) season one ended darkly, like for the franchise, like it seems like season two may end darkly for like a lot of characters, leaving them in a place where, I don't know it'll be as simple as the team getting back together to like try and like you know get back in you know into into regulation or to get elevated. There that ending of that episode where yeah, he goes I was like they fully committed to this character being like kind of a workplace abuser. Yeah. Um not kind of, literally. Like yeah. He waits until no one's around and goes and picks the lowest person on the staff, like the uh, lowest ranking person in the org, and just fucks them up because he can, because he's feeling sad about something else. And it was like one of those things where that's not an easy belt. Like, if this show, now mind you, having said all this, this show has unrung a few bells, right? Where it's like, that was just a plot beat. Like, he, but they already unrung it. That's what. Yeah. I, that's what makes me interested right. to see how it must be intrinsic, like inexorably tied to like 
Ted's like arc here is like they they did it. They did the thing that this show does all the time, which is like it has the emotional character moment and then backs off of it so that it can go back to its status quo of being kind of a, you know, a funny, you know, uh, heartwarming, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 30 minute comedy. And then it takes it says like, no, actually, we're going back to that. And it's a lot darker than it was before. And we're going to end the episode on it so that usually where these episodes <laughs> end with like something uplifting <laughs> and like. You know, I mean, oh, well, I guess, too, you know, the episode before we did end with like <laughs> Ted crying on a couch because he had, a you know, claimed to be shitting his pants and then actually was having an, a panic attack. So there's like a little more of these, da- you know, downer moments recently. But generally, it's a show that like it leaves you with there's a reason like people are watching it like at the end of their evenings. It makes them feel good. And like, a you know, uh, it has that sort of emotional arc to the end of that 30 minutes. And, like this ends with like you in a bad place, like. With the character and like, and specifically a character who over the show is like in a show about underdogs, like is the underdogiest of the underdogs. And it seems to have made it has the daddy issues. We get it. We had we had a mediocre <laughs> episode like indulging into his his dad issues. Um, And th- I'm just I'm so curious where they land this. Like, a, is Ted going to have to fire him? You know what I mean? Like, That's- can you ima- can you imagine like, I know just saying, like, firing a character seemed, like, so minuscule in the grand scheme of things that occur, but, like, if they had to fire Nate from the team, ah! Oh. So there's a really good interview with Nick Muhammad, I think, over at Vulture, where he was, like, he was aware of this arc from the jump, basically, with okay. this character. Huh. Um, and he always played him as someone who, like, it was interesting. Could, could snap. The way Muhammad lays out i'm gonna make sure i've got that name right because i've said it like five times and <laughs> uh, but so the way he lays it out is it was striking the degree to which he was like no nate's straight up delusional man like he was like are you kidding like this is an enormously unhealthy character he's like think about the big deal he's like he like as water boy he is convinced equipment manager sorry but like a lot of times on the sidelines he's doing water boy <laughs> shit yeah. yeah but he's convinced that what he's doing is like critical and essential and like to an extent like these jobs have to get done somebody has to do them but he thinks the way he does them is like critical that like uh you know all these things but like he mixes the sports drink just right he folds the towels just right um this is all like not reasonable stuff to believe and it's actually kind of really narcissistic to be someone who's like, yeah, you know, I'm so fucking good at this that like this team is succeeding because I'm folding the towels right. Yeah. And so it was interesting even, to see like he even yeah. angles it as like it's because it's about it's more about the change. It's not that the new thing is wrong. It's that a change in these players environments might throw them off. But we don't see that actually come to fruition. Right. It's left as a thing that Nate Nathan either believes or is using as an excuse to like, yeah, be say like this is the way we've always done things. <laughs> Yeah, and so, like, this notion of this is a character who, like, after years of being sort of overlooked, gets his first taste of, like, power and prestige, and immediately, like, everything comes bubbling out that you didn't see there before because he was never in a position to be exercised. And now you're like, oh, shit, he's a toxic nice guy Mm -hmm. in some ways. Like, while he was an underdog, there's actually a lot of arrogance and conceitedness behind him. And there's um, there's definitely moments where I feel like season one early early season one Ted would have called that out or understood yep. it more. And this season he's like, nah, it's kind of slipping by, like, which like I think further uh kind of uh 
you know, ties the notion of like the yeah. ship kind of That's having right it on having been righted on Ted's Ted at his peak is now kind of like coasting, right? Instead of Yeah, because season one, he's like immediately pulling in the threads of people's essential character. Right. And yeah. being like, I'm gonna sort these issues out. And so he basically the, the locker room in season one is a place where he makes things right and sees things and identifies them and addresses them. In season two, there's so much shit festering uh mm-hmm. in so many of these scenes that yeah, he and Beer, they're all just a little too busy, a little too distracted to to tackle. Um so yeah, so like I don't know. I guess we turn me turned us around a little bit. Like season two, I would say, if we were having this conversation three weeks ago, I'd well, be we like Ooh. I don't think we would have. I, I I generally don't think we would have thought to even discuss the second season no. unless we'd had the recent. Because Ted Lasso yeah, was Ted's fizzling character. three weeks ago. I was right. like, I don't. I, I mean, don't it was, know fi- it was fine, about. but like, I was already. I was like, had to like tune out the discourse because it was like getting too intense online. I was like, mm-hmm. look, I understand season two isn't really hitting the same buttons, but it's fine. You know, like okay, it's fallen into the fine category. I mean, yeah, thirty minutes, a which week. was disappointing early, early on. Was, yeah, early on, I felt this is why I keep kind of bringing this thing up about coasting. It felt like the show was coasting. It felt like yeah. the way the show is like, oh, we know we have runway here. We're gonna do some like fun filler. And you It'll love be us. You, you fucking exactly. love You're gonna come lasso. <laughs> um, which yeah, I don't know. It just like lines up with like sort of like there's issues here, but you're just kind of getting by sort of vibes that I, that we're getting from uh Ted at the end of uh, season one. Have you all seen Party Down? Yeah. Yes. Tremendous. That for me, I think fucking is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the best ensemble comedies I've ever seen. And I think the thing that I admire about it um, is that I think by the end, all those characters are likable in their way. You root for all of them, even the biggest dumbasses in the group. You're kind of, <laughs> you're kind of rooting for by the end. But it never defangs their conflicts completely. Right. Like, nobody's just one conversation away from being like, I'm not going to be a prick anymore. I'm going to stop being negative to you. I'm not, I'm going to stop uh, treating you this way. I'm going to start, I'm going to stop like sort of self-sabotaging. Nobody's ever one good like conversation and hug it out type thing. Nobody's one of those away from like addressing, recognizing and addressing and resolving their issues. And in TV, a lot of times that that's how the world works. I think like shows like that, that go for this feel good thing. I think end up making me think about party down a lot because party down, party down. I think despite being pessimistic in a lot of places does end up in some positive places. And part of that though, is that there's being positive, having hope, um, like continuing to try in the face of setbacks is hard work. And it requires a lot, and so do navigating relationships and friendships and romances in the face of those same realities and in the face of some of those in- interpersonal conflicts that aren't easily going to go away. And I think it can be so frustrating to see a show like Ted Lasso, which I think has so many of those pieces on the board, and then in season two, you start to see it pull its punches uh, for a long time and start turning these characters into slightly flimsier uh, versions of themselves. Like going back to Jamie Tart for a second. I don't know what he was doing for half the season in the show, because like he, 
the, the show ran out of ideas. Oh, he's not a prick anymore. He's just another player. Um, and he's still got those dad issues, but we don't really have a plot beat for him. But he's a good guy now. He's he's one of the gang. Was well, another one that was spinning its wheel. I'm like, it has a really powerful moment in the most yeah. recent episode. Like again, it's one of those things where like the first ep- season, the first half of the season is just waiting for its moment in in the second half, but without like the whole arc happened in the first season and like a little bit of se- like setup in the second, but mostly it was just. You know, well, we got to keep putting him in a couple of shots because he's a main character on the show and we'll give him some bits. But yeah, he's not going to have an emotional beat until three fourths through the season. Um, and so that's, I, I think I'm kind of curious, just writ large, where Ted Lasso is going to come down. Is it going mm-hmm. to continue to be sort of the indulgent show it was in the first half of the second season where it's like people paid for their feel good late night? popcorn and ice cream show man i'd be uh, mad because i feel like they've they're starting they're beginning they've opened a checkbook yep. at this point like there was in the first half of this season they they could have gone a certain path and they're they, they ended up you know they'd lose all the critics right and but the show would still be exceptionally popular and do really well for apple and you know would, would, would establish his place as just like ah i got like a pleasant but you know, otherwise shallow way to spend 30 <laughs> minutes a week of which there are so many worse things you could be doing with your time. Um, but, you know, the moment they like, you know, Ted wakes up, you know, crying on the couch, uh, they start writing a check. And so, like, yeah. I I do think I don't know that I necessarily am assured that they're going to be able to cash it, but they I admire, maybe not admire, but I'm glad the show isn't going to shy away from what the be- very origins of the show, like even from the sense of like, we're going to take a throwaway ad bit and make a show out of it, but then introduce like weight and pathos to that character, but we're not going to really pay it off too early. Like we're just kind of like leaving that in the background and we want the the audience to be, not think about it too much um, to then swing around. And like, that's what the, I don't know if you think of the show in two halves, one season and a half and a second season and a half, I'm I however they land the punch I don't know but I'm glad at least they're going to take the the swing because otherwise it'd be fine but it would just be like the same way that I watched I watched all of Parks and Rec but like you know it's second third and fourth seasons were like the strongest it was and then it was just coasting on you like these characters right you like it when Andy does something fucking stupid I was like yeah I do like (laughs) yeah I love it um give me more of that um Bring back Patton Oswalt to like yell a bunch of nerd references again. Like, yeah, I'm here for it. You know what I mean? And like that show just sort of it ran out of things to do because it didn't want to introduce conflicts for the characters that really meant anything. And I don't hold that against the show. It just sort of meant that it ran out of ideas. Like it just you can't do that forever. And so the fact that Ted Lasso is going to potentially do that in three seasons, like in a much truncated uh, fashion. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that there's actual conflict with the characters. Yeah. I think it makes the comedy better too, right? Like I think that's what will makes like like the biting heartwarming nature of it. Like I I don't I I think the dart scene is the only time that like the show like really got me. I was like, "Ah, fuck. Fuck you show. <laughs> fuck you show." But I I can feel them winding up right now. Like I yeah. can feel it coming if they if they land it correctly in like the finale, you know, a couple episodes. Like they're going to have if they want it like they're going to get me pretty hard. That's actually, um, you know what the season misses? Hmm. It misses Rupert. Like, 
or more accurately, it misses Anthony Stewart had who played Rupert and right. Giles in Buffy. Um, but like, you need a villain. Yeah, not a villain. And he was like, a pretty that, convincing one. Like yeah. that episode where he's doing the charity dinner, and oh you see him God. in like full oh, charm yeah. mode, and you see how good he was at being the big man of the town, of being the club. Like he is great at this. And your heart broke for Rebecca. I mean, like it was, it, it was illustrative of abuse without being how we see abuse depicted yeah. on like t- dramatically on on television. Um, uh, and. They're just yeah, you're right. I never really thought about it that way, but there's just like none of that here. Like it just doesn't. Even the the big bad uh, you know advertiser that Rebecca goes to you know stand up to like that. There's no face to that. You know, it's yeah. not like that's a that could have been a source of conflict. You know, over the course of the season, but like you know, again, it was just kind of tossed away. But yeah, he even if he was kind of just a villainous foil, he worked. He gave the characters stakes. Yeah. Um, and you need that little bit of edge, I think, sometimes where like, hey, like, because the Parks and Rec model is always you turn the antagonists into cartoonish villains, right? Like, oh, just some it's some like dastardly de- uh, evildoer uh, who's trying to wreck the crew's good time. Uh, who's trying mm-hmm. to harsh their mellow. Um, and like, no, here was a guy who like legitimately is out to settle scores um that he has no right to feel aggrieved by but there he is (laughs) nevertheless doing it um and i guess it's intriguing in the second season like you know some of that edge is coming from uh you know nate um it might start to come from it's come a little bit from ted it might come from some of these other characters but uh yeah I'm, i'm i'm back on board uh and i'm i'm hopeful that we've sort of gotten past the the doldrums uh, of the show and that we get a um a hell of a conclusion to the season and a great third season um, how many how many episodes are left three can't be many right yeah it can't be many they're Let's doing 10 ahead. again just two but is it 10 or not or 11 this time um there are well, the last one was 45 minutes long so it was like we got a double episode they yeah. do that again uh we have there's there's four uh four one more episodes what so is it a one, 12 two, three, episode four. run yeah i guess huh. so. Hell right. yeah. Yeah. They need the extra uh, space. <laughs> Although I guess I'm they could have taken out two. I think they could have taken out two in the middle there and shuffled some things around and probably been fine with 10. Huh? Okay. So here's my other <laughs> question. Can I, hold on. Hold on. Can I just, can I just read yeah. uh, the, uh, the episode titles for the final four? Um, uh, so this the coming episode will be out later this week. Beard after hours, Uh-oh. which apparently, hold on. Is this written by, written by, Brett Goldstein and Joe Kelly. Brett Goldstein being the actor who plays Roy Kent. Kent. Also, apparently... Is his movie pod good? I've heard it's incredible. (laughs) I've heard it's... Shit. And not in in an ironically detached fashion of like, oh, look at this. Like, There's a little bit of like, look at this character and look how he is against type or in your head when you're listening to him. But apparently he's like incredibly insightful, has like wonderful interviews with like amazing filmmakers i haven't downloaded it yet but it's it's i've been i've i've been holding myself back um uh no weddings and a funeral midnight train to royston and inverting the pyramid of success which is apparently the last one uh the finale written by jason sudeikis uh himself jesus um, which all is right this sounds like a harrowing so, end of the season yeah though. yeah especially because yeah. the last episode ended with coach beard going off into the night alone um 
that was that. So we didn't get into that, but that little exchange was implied a lot of. I don't. Maybe darkness is overstating it, mm. but I mean, Ted was like, "Hey, hey, like keep it cool yeah. tonight," implying that like. I also think that the that's partially set up for Ted's relationship to his father's suicide, right? Yeah. It's like being trying to be the anchor for everyone around him so that people that he loves know that they're like, you know, being supported, right? Right. Even yeah, if, right. I mean, some of that with Beard maybe is also something that he is actually seeing there, but it could be like a little overstated just because that's who Ted is, right? Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. But the stare, the stare back that Coach Beard gives him. That's true. Like, yeah, there mm-hmm. there's like a, a blankness and I can't tell if it's darkness or if it's just, mm. you know, but it's it's not played for laughs. No, um, no. And usually the show is like pretty clear when the two of them are doing a bit, which is 95 percent of the show. Right. And that specific little exchange. I mean, granted, it comes after Ted has a really personal moment and then um, is collecting himself. But I don't know. And, and I guess if the next episode is called Beard After Hours, I suppose that suggests we're going to get some insight into what happens but i don't know man this sure sounds like they're setting up for like every character to take a fall um and then the whole thing you know that's contrasted against uh you know the other you know almost ted lesso frequently at its best of you know sam and rebecca saying fuck it we're going for it well that's gonna end (laughs) poorly right like that can't stay as good as it is i was sort of sitting there i was like what if she what if she has to trade sam like what whole rob's whole thing like there's a, she was right when she said we can't do this and not necessarily because like who cares about the age thing they're both you know mature adults they can make their own decisions and th- I like that the show even like talks about that but it is true that like what if she has to sign off on you know Higgins is That's, like look we're we would saying, get great like, value for Sam there is a power disparity in that relationship uh-huh. that was more alarming than the age difference <laughs> yes and I was like Put those two things together, and it's like there's some major obstacles to. It was already implied, like she's had some relationships that are like, we're just having fun. Uh, it's nothing serious. Mm-hmm. Cool, whatever. But this is like, this is our great romance, which the show has not done an amazing job setting up. Aside no. from these text messages are just hot as hell. These are the sexiest <laughs> text messages in history. <laughs> no, we will not let you read hey, them. Hey, but that, but that haircut scene, incredible. Oh, that was great. Yeah. But that's because Isaac is this year's breakout character. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. He's uh, so good. But anyway, we have to call it. Uh, we're we coming do. up on two hours. Uh, and Damn. I'm contractually obligated to bring this thing in under two. Uh, <laughs> so that will do it for this week's Waypoint Radio Waypoints. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Our uh, thanks we to- probably sh- uh Kato, uh, I'm doing this at the end to tell you to do it after, but we should probably put a spoiler bump yeah. on the at the beginning. The beginning of I like the, yeah, Ted Lasso. Yeah, I'm, I like yep. at one point yep. said I told myself I was like, oh, I should interject here and say we're going to spoil, and then and then I didn't do it, so <laughs> now I'm doing <laughs> Actually, it now, so you can here. add it. <laughs> Good. So after this break. uh we already recorded it, but we had a very good but very spoilery discussion of Ted Lasso uh, to the point where if you haven't seen it, one, I'm not sure it'll make a lot of sense to you. But two, <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled on literally everything that happens in every unexpected plot twist, you might want to hold off on this until you've had a chance to catch up to the show. Yeah, keep that in, Kato. Yeah. You need to see how the machine works. Right. 
It'll be in here twice. We'll get spoiler. Right. spoiler. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It's truly a spoiler bump. It's yeah. a before and an after. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, all right, Rob, take us home. Kyle, should this be a slide of sleep show? It could be a slide of sleep show. We I think make it's it a slide of sleep show. Slide of sleep show. It's good. Yeah. Slide of so, sleep by Too Mellow. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I was like, what are you, what are you talking? What's their like... Is this some sort of uh, proper noun from Deathloop that I, I hadn't run into yet? Yes, slide, slide of sleep, sleep is a proper noun. It is the name of a track. And it is associated with a particular vibe of a different type of Waypoint show. And I think that's what we're going to use tonight for, well, not tonight. Um, mm. The slide of sleep is like, um, what if the the trap from Ghostbusters where you slide it across the ground and it opens up, mm-hmm. but it's like, it opens up with like, Music? Sleeping gas. Sleeping gas. <laughs> That's what the proper noun would be referring to in the game, is what I'm saying. Oh, like I thought of, you were oh. like... <laughs> I thought you were like, this is what Tumelo's composition evokes. No, no. And I was like, how the fuck are you getting that from Slide Asleep? No, no, no. Just, yeah, in Deathloop. That's what the item would be. That was called the Slide Asleep. That'd be a great yeah, when you pull when you pull up your inventory and it's, you want to, would you like to know more about Slide Asleep? <laughs> um, anyway, you can find that at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com. You can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com. I'm Rob Zachney. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people keep up with you? At Patrick Klopik. Cotto. At A underscore Cotto underscore appears. And that will do it for this week's Waypoint Radio. We'll be back later Today's. it was waypoints wave waypoints radio <laughs> waypoints <laughs> waypoints radio somehow <laughs> that's pretty good though waypoints radio that 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 not bad that's the huh? plural of waypoint radio you, mm-hmm. not a lot of people know that mm. <laughs> it's true it's because it's derived <laughs> from french uh anyway uh we'll be back later this week with a more in-depth uh, story-laden discussion of Deathloop. Uh, plus, I'll probably be able to give my early impressions of Lost Judgment, uh, which, good thing I finished Judgment, because otherwise there'd be a lot that's confusing <laughs> me about this game. Uh, but fortunately, now I'm all caught up, and I haven't missed a beat. Uh, so keep an ear out for that. Also, if you are a Waypoint Plus subscriber, uh, next this week... You can hear me, Patrick, and Cat Bailey from IGN look deep within ourselves at our most compromised football-loving uh, souls and discuss the 2014 film Draft Day, improbably directed by Ivan Reitman, yep. uh, in which Kevin Costner saves the Cleveland Browns through some very savvy, but maybe hard to believe, uh general manager draft management um we did this because we're we're pretty confident that the bears also the chicago bears mm-hmm, mm-hmm. had also had a similarly magical draft day and yeah, the trajectory of the out. franchise has been altered and now we just need the the good things to flow into the city I would say they haven't quite turned the spigot yet to let the, <laughs> let no, the Justin try, Fields know, goodness just, uh, flow. I, Rob, uh, we are the Chicago, the arc of the Chicago Bears uh, football season is um, similar to the uh, first half of Ted Lasso season two. You know, we're just spinning <laughs> plates. 
until Justin Fields can can come on out. And then, you know, then things will kick it up a notch. And then a few hours after we record this, we're going to be doing a Waypoint After Dark uh, with a very special. Okay, it's Austin. Uh, <laughs> Austin is going to be hanging out with us, and we're going to be chatting and doing some fun accident interview uh, type stuff about uh, his time at Waypoint. Yeah, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about uh, even though this will be out after we record that. But if you listen to this, maybe you don't sign up for Waypoint Plus or haven't yet. But yeah, we're going to use that as an excuse to kind of talk about. The last five years, um, you know, he, he kind of gave his call to arms at the end of last episode, but we didn't really have a chance to like sit back and like reflect on like this project and where we're at and where where we come from and where it's going. And so I think that's kind of what we're going to structure that episode. Also, Rob has been teasing an explanation of what happened to him. Oh, yeah. There's uh, so much now because there's um, also some. Austin has some good death loop stories, so I'm sure it'll be a whole cavalcade of mystery uh, and excitement. Uh, So (laughs) check that out next week. Uh, But anyway, that will do it for today. Uh, And now uh, it's time to reveal the last pivot that's happening uh, in the wake of Austin's departure. Um, I know we've been a pretty leftist podcast, but I think we need to get into hustle culture. Uh, So instead of fucking capitalism and going home, let's get on that grind. No, you cannot. (laughs) They cannot. It can't end like this. Not like this. Instead of fucking capitalism and going home. It was like a very different implication of what we've been doing for years. That's what that means. I feel. I feel like when you're getting on the grind, you might be fucking capitalism and going home. Oh no! (laughs) Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We all recording? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Kato, uh-huh. are you doing the backup as well now? Yes. Yes. Okay. I always uh, have been. Austin did like a second backup in case there was a cash out failure on my side as well. Wow. But we've never, we've that's never happened? No, I've never had to use his backup. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? What is you wrong with your intonation? you responded to that, it was like, have we ever had to do that? Mm, no. Which is like, almost makes it sound like we did, but now you don't want to reveal that we did. I think there was one time where we used it. Uh-huh. But, you know, one time in, what, three years since I've yeah, been <laughs> recording yeah. so, stuff. It seems, so. Basically seems, it, the next time it happens, I will go ahead and do be a second redundancy, but. <laughs> yeah. If we're making changes, that that seems. I think you're probably fine. And if you have a massive storm rolling in, I can start a second backup <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. I think in an, in, in an instance where we think 
something might happen, I think that makes the most oh, sense. Oh, yeah. If I disappear, just keep recording. It's probably just my glitchy internet. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, I thought it's you got been, better internet. I did, but I think there's actually a bad cable somewhere in this setup. <laughs> oh, and I don't no. have a replacement. Rob, Rob's so. got a bad cable somewhere that's causing mysterious issues. Haven't heard of it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Time that is. Yeah, I'm there. I'm ready. 55. Next. Coach. Okay. 55. Day of the programmer. It sounds oh. like a really terrible airport thriller. <laughs> Tim Sweeney. Like, the, he, like you know, he's made so much money, he has nothing else to do. He's now writing bad thrillers that, uh, the, are those, I've seen, like, the, the airport libraries or, or bookstores or whatever are getting slowly shutting down. People and people aren't, I've seen photos as people, like, return to traveling a bit. I'm just like, oh. That they're all gone. Well, well, I'm sure some of it was, you know, like many things, accelerated by. Yeah, the pandemic and lack of travel, but things that were going to happen in the next five years anyway. Whereas I'm on the other side, where now I'm, now I'm I'm buying hardcover books. If I I'm you can't to wait read. to get back to Hudson News. Uh, no, why don't I buy new ones? It's just like I'm going. Like I don't listen to like a like a Kingcast episode if I haven't if I don't know the story. Or rather, like if it's one that I really think I want to know, I want to go back and read the book first. So it's like mm. them. I've been buying. But if you buy a hardcover from 25 years ago, they're not that expensive. And then also you get weird. I love getting the weird marks and books of like that people have used them. It delights me. Do they still do the Printer's Row Book Fair in uh, Chicago? Uh, I mean, I just didn't live. Because if you love weird marked up books. Yeah. Let me tell you. What was it called? The Printer's Row Book Fair. Looking. Hmm. There is the Printer's Row Lit Fest. Yeah, Printer's Row Lit Fest. Um, That's probably it, yeah. September 11th. I just missed it, Rob. <laughs> it was this weekend. Well, uh, next year. Sign up for next year. You'll get so much good stuff. Uh, all right. I'm ready. I yeah. know what we're doing. I've got Let's a good go. handle on this. Sure. Got to pull the Band-Aid off, Rob. All right. I should probably stick with this, right? Yeah. Yeah. 